Welcome to the Hot Young Designers Club podcast. I'm Rebecca Plum, your big sister. And I'm Sean Serha, your GBF. We're not that hot or that young. But we believe it's a state of mind that helps us build adaptable and profitable businesses. We rely on the support of our design besties to get through each day. So let's explore the emotional, practical, and humorous sides of being interior designers. Welcome to the club. Hey, Sean. What's up, Rebecca? Hey, Stacy. We have Stacy Garcia with us today. Hi. How you doing? So good. So good to meet you. So great to meet you too. I'm a little jealous because I know that you're in warm weather over there. It's snowing where I am. <laughs> I mean, I got a sweater on. <laughs> I'm wearing my cardigan. But you didn't have to <laughs> shovel your driveway no this morning. Way. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know you East Coasters have it rough lately. Yeah. Now tell um, the Stacey, tell the listeners where you are. That way they know. I know. I'm I'm outside of Manhattan. So I'm a New Yorker. You'll, you'll hear it in my accent once I start talking. I've been accused of sounding like Fran the Nanny, but that's okay. You know, it's, <laughs> no, it's I'm not picking up that <laughs> strong, it. but maybe maybe it happens not with a, a little bit. Listen, I haven't a, asked yeah. you for coffee yet. You know, right, exactly. The more <laughs> I drink, the more it comes out. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> that's, my husband becomes more southern as he has cocktails and he hasn't lived in Atlanta in a very long time. So <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. You know, you can take the boy out of Atlanta, but you cannot take the no. Atlanta out of the boy. So no, yeah. yeah. The Colonel Sanders accent shows up really fast sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> it's very weird. It's fun. Anyway, it's good. Yeah, exactly. It's good at a party. Why don't you t- share a little bit with the hotties listening about how you got your start and what you're doing right now? Sure. Well, I love that. So first of all, hello, hotties. I'm so glad to be <laughs> included in this crew. I was joking with Rebecca and Sean before we went live. I was like, I hope you know I'm neither young nor hot any longer. But anyway, same, a girl can a girl thing. can try. Listen, I figured I'm gonna feel young till the day, you know, yeah, I, I'm no longer our, here. It's all of us. Yes. Oh, forget it. I know. I'm I'm young at heart. So anyway, I am a, a designer by training. I actually studied something called surface pattern design back in the day and took that and leveraged it into a career first in textile and then in licensed products, and then eventually into interior design on the residential side of things. But the bulk of my journey has been spent developing product, and I own two businesses. One is called Libatex, which is a textile company. We focus mostly on hotels and resorts. We have um, high-performance product that if you're listening and are interested in those kind of things, even for the residential world, we do cut and ship. So You can check those products out and have hotel quality products for your homes. The other business is called Stacey Garcia Design Studio, and that's a licensing business where I've built uh, that over almost 20 years. And we have partners, really, we say from floor to ceiling. So everything (laughs) from flooring like LVT, tiles, uh, broadroom carpet, wall covering, furniture, lighting, accessories, you name it, we've licensed it. We're sold in 52 countries. And we went from the world of hospitality into the world of residential over the last, I'm going to say, eight years or so. And so we'll talk a little bit about that journey and how High Point Market really impacted that. Wow. That's, yeah. It's already such an expansive place to come from. And also sort of the reverse of what most designers get taught is start start small with residential. And maybe that's just because that's what we see a lot of. So we don't hear a lot of the journey of beginning the other way. What why did like how did starting the textile line 
what what was the point like the big point of starting from there when you were getting your your start in the industry yeah it's interesting so you know I, like so many listeners out there, you know, was an art kid. You know, we, you're drawn to design for a reason, right? Somebody told you you were creative. Someone told you you had a great idea or a great eye. And, yeah. you know, you, you took that path. And that was, you know, mine. I, all my extracurriculars were in like ceramics and sewing and like dollhouse <laughs> furniture making. I'm stuff. not even making that up. I was like, yeah. I remember, you know, spending three weeks, you know, after school activity, like, gluing down like a little wicker rattan mini chair that was going to go into my dollhouse. So, you know, we all had those memories. You were doing residential but, design on a very small yeah. scale. <laughs> oh my gosh, forget it. Go. And and part of my launch story in textiles was actually, I brought the dollhouse concept back into it. But when I started my career, I actually interned at Ralph Lauren, which was amazing because they really make magic in the world of licensing. And Mm -hmm. I can say that, you know, that it rolls off my tongue now, but when I was a mere babe on Mm -hmm. Madison Avenue, you know, getting this, this gig to work at one of the biggest houses out there, I didn't even know what licensing was. And so, you know, here I am and I'm getting this opportunity and I hear them on the phones and we're there, you know, having design meetings and, you know, I'm, I'm hearing this all from the the closet because my job for the first two weeks was to like fold fold the antique textiles. You know, oh, well, that's kind of fun, though. But it was you know hearing this concept of the licensee is asking for this, the licensee is asking for that, and I'm like, well, who's the licensee, and you know, why does their opinion matter? And yeah. when you're as big as Ralph Lauren, their opinion doesn't really matter. You know, you get to say that we're doing you know whatever Irish cottage this season, <laughs> yeah. and these are the vintage things that are inspiring us, and you know, but the that's where that term first hit my radar was that you could partner with other companies. And so for those of you listening who also maybe are not familiar with the term, it really is where you create intellectual property, you know, you create your designs and instead of selling them and then they don't belong to you anymore, you license them, which means that you're going to find somebody else to kind of lend them to. They will pay you for the use of those things but at the end of the relationship, they're still yours. Mm-hmm. And if the relationship rolls, you can make money you know, in residual income for years. So it was the first concept. And it's really where I got turned on to that world. And to kind of loop back to your question on textiles, um, my background was in surface pattern design. And I loved uh, designing patterns for fabric at the time. And so I moved on, you know, from the closet in Ralph and, and they, they allowed me to paint some of the designs for a pillow line they were doing and to have exposure to their showrooms. My next job out was working at mass retail. So when I finally graduated, I worked at a mass retailer creating catalog type product, really inexpensive that needed to look good and photograph well in like a really low end catalog. So it had to pop off the page. Very wow. inexpensive, really different from the things I was doing at Ralph. And I spent a year there. You know, yeah. But you engineer you know, the, yeah, the other, other side way. of retail. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, we were literally designing fabric. If it was a, you know, 54 inch width, like you'd have to design it so that you could cut the ruffles and not have any waste. So I'd be, uh-huh. you know, railroading fabric, designing uh-huh. the things that would be cut into the ruffles on these like kitchen curtains, you know. But it was oh great gosh. training ground, you know, and I got thrown into visiting the printers, learning manufacturing, you know, all mm-hmm. of that piece of it. 
And in New York City, there were textile buildings at the time. So, you know, there were kind of two major textile buildings. So it was easy if you got another job, like all I had to do was move three floors up to another company, (laughs) um, which is what I did. I just, yeah, I I interviewed, you know, you didn't even have to leave the building, you know, to do the interview. And I got hired three floors up at another (sighs) company and was hired into what was called their contract division, which was really primarily their hospitality division. And so I joke, my two bosses, I got the job. Their names were Rocco and Tony. So they were these two amazing Italian guys who were in sales. And, you know, I worked for their contract division. So my parents were like, wait, you're working for Rocco and Tony and Contract? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Should we be <laughs> concerned? I think like Sopranos were big at the yeah, time. Yeah, they were a little worried. The truck. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, no, no, we sell to hotels. Trust me, it's going to be great. It's legit. It's, and, legit. Um, it, it's totally legit. And it was. And But it was, it was the first time I understood that there was this whole other end of the business that wasn't residential. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was commercial contract hospitality. And I ran around at the time we were doing like themed hotels, like Las Vegas was totally themed. It was like the New York, New York Hotel or Paris Hotel. And it was back in the day when if you traveled to a hotel, like there was no white bed at the time. It was all like patterns. So that's how I got started. And like coverlets on a bunch of stuff. Coverlets. Like now if you ever watch like a retro movie where it's like a throwback and it's like a horrible motel, you might see one of my patterns. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's kind of the stuff we were designing. You know, it went everywhere high and low. But yeah, yeah, that's how I got my start. So when I started my business, I had fallen in love with this idea of designing for travel because you can take risk in hospitality design that you can't take in residential. Like right. people are visiting. They want to be in fantasy land. You know, they want to mm. be brought to an escape, whatever that is, you know, whether that's high-end luxury spa or, you know, something like a Disney resort, you know, where it's totally themed and you, you're designing for fantasy, you know, and yeah. it's, it is a different set of rules than designing for somebody's home where it is emotional for them. You know, their home is an investment. It's, it's not something that they're just going to dip a toe in the water for a week. They're, they're going to live there for years. Get tired oh, yeah. of it. So it's totally different to design. And, and I, I fell in love with that industry and, you know, just kind of grew from there and, and didn't look back. And then once I hit a point of, maturity in the market and hospitality and started to look at where else we could grow, you know, residential for me was the next logical step. So So what was the step or like the impetus for you to be like, you know what, I'm done working for other people. I'm just going to start my own whole entire company manufacturing thing? Yeah, (laughs) it was pretty early on. So I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs. So owning your own business was not like a scary thing per se. It was more like not if you're going to do it, it was kind of when you're going to do it. And it's interesting because I'm the oldest of three and both of my siblings also own their own businesses. So, (laughs) which I know I have friends who look and they're like, how did that happen? And I'm like, well, my dad owns his own business and my aunt owns her own business. My uncle owns, like nobody works for anybody. We are all in this roller coaster together. And it is very much a roller coaster as you both know, right? You're all here in your own companies Yeah, I mean, I think if you have a model that's willing to take risks, then you just see that as something you can absorb too. And you see that it, I have similar, like my dad always had little businesses and stuff going on. So I'm like, it's just something you do. Totally. And you you understand too that it's not for everybody. 
which right. was shocking to me. I learned that after I had started my business. Like I, I thought everybody wanted to be in their own business. Right. I thought everybody wanted to be an artist or designer. I thought everybody wanted to be on QVC when they grew up. Like I, I thought everybody wanted to do those things. <laughs> and I was working with a coach at one point and she was like, you know, Stacy, not everybody wants to do like public speaking. That's like the biggest fear people have. Right. Yeah. And I was like, what do you mean? You're crazy. Everybody wants to do that. Like, why wouldn't ever? And she was like, no, they don't. Take your blinders off, look around. And what makes the world go around is that everybody wants something a little different. And like you bring your own thing to the table and sure. you really, there's, you're not in competition with anybody. Like you want what you want and it's different than what other people want. But I also think with those types of things, that those are the things that you're on the right path for. If you can't imagine not doing it, which is why you have these blinders, and you can't imagine totally. anyone else not wanting to do it, then that means that's your path and your calling because it's so like innate and part of you. Like the grass is green. What do you mean? Like <laughs> Totally. But I'll tell you, it was empowering to realize that not everybody does want the same thing. And I think right. that that, you know, was it really is where I think the fun started to happen for me. When I let go of this concept of competition and understood that like actually there, there's so much more synergy, realizing that even in the creative space, there's this abundance out there. We can all co-create, we can create things that didn't exist before and that there is more than enough. And, and actually the more we come together and do cool things, uh, the more opportunities do open up. But you know, to kind of circle back to the question I'm, starting the business and, and how I got started in it. I was in my 20s um, when I made the leap to go independent. I, I had no business background. So I ended up taking a couple classes, like enough to make me dangerous. Mm -hmm. I, I took a class called Going Indie, like how to set up your corporation. <laughs> you know, it was like sort of pre-internet. I'm going to totally date myself now. So you couldn't just Google it at the time. I had to go to night school and learn enough to just get off the ground. But I knew I was going to go off on my own at some point. My original dream from the Ralph Lauren days were I, I wanted to license my own textile. So, so my big dream at the time in my 20s was to create a collection of Stacey Garcia textiles that I could design and style and then license to somebody so that they could go sell it and I could make royalties and sail off into the sunset making this residual income. And is that because you had a vision of things you wanted that you couldn't find in the marketplace more? Or was it driven by like, actually, this is just the business career path I want? I think there was probably oh. a little ego in it, if I'm being honest, right? I yeah. think all designers have to have a little bit of a healthy dose of ego to you know stand up there and go, this is good and this looks good and this is what I want. So I mean, I'll be honest about that. It's something I'm working on, like letting go of it. But I think there was a little ego there. I also believed in my aesthetic ability. I believed in, in the look that I wanted to bring to market. And I think for me, the kicker was actually part of my job was to shop art studios and vintage textiles and vintage wallpapers to become the Dream. you know what would be the new collection. So that was what I was getting paid to do. And I had met with a archivist and pulled a whole bunch of vintage wallpapers to the side, brought in either Rocco or Tony, I don't remember which one, but they had to approve the purchases. <laughs> and they looked at the things I had pulled and they were like, no. And then, you know, they walked out. It was kind of uh -huh. like, mm, we don't see it. And so they kind of squashed that version of what I was pulling. They left the room. And I said to the archivist who was showing the collection, you know, the company doesn't want it 
but I'd like to buy them. Are, are you okay selling me these pieces? Mm. And they said yes to that. So this was kind of like the first leap of faith. And I know, you know, on your podcast, you talk about all the time, like what it takes to really just go, right? Yeah. To, to say, I'm going to make this scary investment. And again, I was in my 20s. I want to say I spent 1500 bucks, which is probably like all the money I had in my savings account at the time. And I wrote them a check and I was like, I can't believe I'm doing this. I can't believe I'm doing it. Like I was in a hot sweat. I remember like hiding it under my desk. I was afraid somebody would like be like, what is she doing? She's what like is- smuggling, yeah. you know? And I, I remember being so nervous. I can't believe I just wiped my account out for this. But it was like, for me... It was that like flag in the ground of being like, you know what? I think these are good. I think this could create like a fabulous collection and I'm going to just work on this on my own time. And you can even just clarify, sorry, what that means. So when you're purchasing that vintage archive, does that mean like you're purchasing kind of the rights to recreate it? So it, you know, at the time, the way that the industry worked was less tight, I'm going to say, you know, than it is today. Today, I'll be honest, right? That's the dirty little secret of the industry is that there were a lot of things that were taken. And if you bought antique pieces, a lot of companies would just take them and produce them as is. We used Mm -hmm. to take them and change them because copyrights do expire after a hundred years, unless you have a company who's re-copywriting your work. So like a William Morris is owned, you know, by a family at this point, you know, where there's they are continuing to re-copyright his work so that they can relicense it and still own it. And if you don't recopy it, you, they do expire after mm. time. So something that's over 100 years would be considered public domain. So you yeah. can use it, but you run the risk that if somebody else bought it, like it was produced commercially, if somebody else purchased it and you know also got access to a piece that they could also reproduce it and then you'd both have the same exact fabric, let's say. So our practice was always to use it as inspiration and change it. And, you know, but not everybody did. So that's, that's what I did. I purchased them for inspiration so that I would really have this like authentic vibe. Mm. And, and then we would springboard the new collections off of it. Mm. And so, you know, I, I purchased, they were a group of wallpapers from the 1940s. They had this, you know, palm desert vibe to them. They were really fabulous. It was like, on a texture that almost looked like a bark cloth, but in wallpaper. Mm. And I, and you know, when I launched my company, you know, so I took these vintage things, worked, you know, nights painting and creating a quote collection off of it. Again, my dream was to license it. So I, my, my whole thought originally was to take these collections and find a partner to go manufacture for me. And I pitched it to every textile company I could get a meeting with in New York city and I heard no almost 100% of the time. I had one company who was like, well, like we would buy two of those patterns off of you and like we'd put them in the line. So if you want to sell them, you know, the going rate at the time was I think 1200 bucks for a piece of art. We'd pay you 1200 bucks, you know, for those artworks. And I was like, no, it's a collection. Like it needs to live together. You're not understanding. And so I, you know, said, thank you, but no, thank you. Went home super discouraged. And my husband of 25 years now, but back in the day, you know, we were newlyweds and he had graduated with a degree in accounting. So he was like, well, what do you need these companies for? Like, why can't you just create the textiles yourself? Why does it have to be licensing? Do you have to be married to this being a licensed thing? And I was like, well, that's what Ralph Lauren does. That's what I want to do. And he's, yeah, but it's, you're hearing no. So you might have to just go do it yourself. Just try something different with it. Just there's a different path to, you know, if your dream is to have a textile collection, it doesn't have to be licensed, produce it. 
And, and that's how I started Libatex. So, you know, that wow. kind of flash forward. And I had played with things, you know, there was probably a two-year time span between purchasing the art and actually like making the leap to go start a textile company. But that's, that's where the story kind of ended up is I, I ended up creating it myself. And those, you know, two of the patterns that were from these, I still remember the names of because it was Wilshire and Melrose because they were these like fabulous 1940s tropicals. Oh, so cool. Do you still have the original pieces? I, I probably do in our archive. Yeah. yeah I probably it's like now you have your the, own the first, archive. It's like the first yep. dollar kind of. <laughs> exactly. No, I'm sure I do. And, and yeah, they're, they're fun. We've talked over the years, we're going to be celebrating 25 years in business. So I was in my twenties when I started, which is like a, you know, it, crazy to think about, you know, like you just don't know what you don't know. And part of it is you have very little fear you know, at the time, but I did have a mortgage and I did have a child. We started, you know, our life pretty young. And I remember looking at my husband and like, he put together our like working budget as a family. And he, in between me starting this business and, and, you know, we had, like I said, there was probably a two year time span between buying that, getting married, buying a home because I was pregnant and it was like, there was nowhere for this kid to live. We were in a tiny apartment in New York oh. city, like a walk up. I'm like, we're putting him in a drawer. Like where are we putting him? Um, <laughs> And like we, you know, pooled our savings and put some money down on a townhouse and then the real estate went up in value. So we ended up having equity in this home that we bought and I was able to borrow $50,000 against home equity, you know? So like, luckily we just got in at the right time and kind of created this money out of nowhere and used it to start a business. And I remember like, I did not sleep for the first two years. Like I was pushing this baby down, you know, in a stroller, he put this P&L together for our family he was miserable at his job. And I was like, you need to leave. Like, you're going to have a heart attack. Like you have, you can't work here anymore. It's really bad for you. So he left, he was unemployed and I wasn't making any money. I was like starting this business. And I remember being like, what happens if we lose our house? What am I going to do? It's like a wing so, and a prayer kind of. Literally. <laughs> and, and, and so much hustle and so much yeah, grind and so much failure is not an option here. Yeah, there's something about that. We don't, there is no other choice. There is no like window to jump through. So we're still, we're going right through. <laughs> like you have to keep You're just going to make your, you're going to figure it out. Yeah. It's yeah. like, it's Would not, you... it, yeah. It, failure was not an option for us. I mean, it was. And then I'd be living with my mother-in-law, which like, God bless her, but sound freaking horrible to me. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if you're yeah. in your twenties and you're just like, that's not oh going to happen. God, like, like, absolutely not. We just but got like, out of this. We don't want to. We're not going back to our parents after this. Yeah. Totally. No, my husband kept saying, look, we won't be homeless. My parents said we can move in. And I was like, well, that is fucking motivating. (laughs) Yeah, that'll get you you out of there. Yeah, I'm not going to fall. I want to loop back on, you were talking about the, the whole like starting textiles from pretty much nothing. And I feel like now, and maybe this is just my perception, there are a lot of, a lot of boutique textile designers that are, you know, starting as artists and they're coming in now and turning their art into pattern and wallpaper and using it in textile. And I feel like probably a lot of that has to do with like access to digital printing methods and being able to produce on different scales where you can produce like by the bolt instead of, oh, you need to have thousands of yards of fabric. But how do you look at that Where from where you are now what does that sort of shift in some of the like designer fabric access look like, you know, from your lens? Yeah, I think it's a great time, you know, to be a designer today because there is so much more opportunity. You know, as you're saying, I mean, when I started, if the 
apps and the websites that existed today were there, I, I probably wouldn't own Labatex. You know, I would probably would have uploaded my designs and, you know, just been kind of cranking out patterns and and building the brand, you know, that way and, mm-hmm. and not needing to go into production myself. It, I, I'm a believer, you know, I, I, I'm a more of a woo-woo person. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm definitely a believer in a higher power. So I don't think anything happens by accident. You know, I think I was supposed to go down this path and it's given me so much insight from the manufacturer's perspective when I do cut licensing deals with other companies. And we're partnered, you know, I mean, Karistan Rugs and we've had, you know, Bernhardt Furniture is one of my partners on the hospitality side, like so big names in the industry that we've put deals together with. I think it does give me a totally different perspective because I do run a company, you know, that I understand that you have to make money, you know, like it's not just, you know, for, for looks, like it has to produce for you. But the exciting thing for designers today is there are so many opportunities to, whether you do it to build your brand and establish your aesthetic, like as an enhancement, or you do it as an additional revenue stream, it's easier than ever today to create those looks for yourself, you know, to add those products, you know, to your mix and, and be able mm. to play in that manner without having the, the lift of so much production, you know, so, so much yardage or so much inventory, you know, you yeah. can really create on demand today. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. You're not having to order, you know, four shipping containers full of something and, you know, like not you at all. take all the financial risk and hope, just hope it sells and doesn't end up on like a bargain floor somewhere. Yep. Yep. And as good as I am, I am still not batting a hundred. Like it doesn't exist. You know, there's always going to be things that are amazing and there are going to be things that are okay. And there are going to be things that like bark until you close them out. How often? (laughs) So I'm curious just kind of about that cycle of forecasting and being ahead. I mean, you must be years ahead when you're in design versus things in market. Yeah. Like, um, how do you know what is going to work, especially at mass market. It's interesting. I mean, I love luxury market because there is a much higher tolerance for innovation. You know, there's a much higher tolerance for the unique. There's a craving for something different. There's an appreciation of materiality and craftsmanship and what it took to, you know, create these pieces. So, you know, there's a piece of me that's like, my heart is there because there, you can really be an artist. I think when you're really doing luxury, it's as close to being an artist in the world of design as anything. Mm. When you're designing for more mass market, which what I love about mass market is if you believe that as a designer, you improve people's quality of life, which is what I believe, right? I believe that we really do make people's lives better through design we improve their living space. We improve how they feel in their space. Mm-hmm. We empower people. As product designer, I empower people by bringing out great collections that even if they're not going to be able to afford an interior designer, they have a much better chance of being able to put together something that they're proud of, that they mm-hmm. feel really good in. So the beauty of mass market is that we get to impact more people, right? We get to impact mm-hmm. a larger number of people and improve the quality of their life through the things that they choose to purchase that we've designed. And so I think there's a beauty to both levels of the market. But your question on forecasting, like how do we know what's coming through? 
it's interesting. You know, it's really fun because being able to come to High Point Market or Market for short in North Carolina, you know, twice a year is a great place to be able to come and see, you know, the the trends that are happening, right? You know, to, to see what's going to be happening. And as an interior designer, you're seeing it for fresh, you know, you're seeing it before it hits retail. So if you're yeah. coming to shop High Point Market, you're coming the same time the retail buyers are coming. Right. So you're going to see it well before it's ever on a website or a retail floor. You know, you get to see that sneak peek Very and true. be able to choose it and spec it and kind of distill it down for yourself and your clients before it's being shown somewhere else. So it is a great place to come shop. The other thing I love about market is, you know, that we get to listen to panels from great forecasters. And I've done some too. I've done keynotes for market authority on trends, but there are some fabulous people who speak on behalf of market and their whole career is traveling the world distilling down trends, et cetera. So you can kind of hear what's happening even on the front end of before it's going to hit market, you know, before it's going to hit the showrooms. So it's, it is a great place to come and see. My job in my studio, so at the Stacey Garcia Design Studio, one of the reasons that partners, our manufacturing partners do come to work with us is that forecasting is a big part of our model of doing business. And when we forecast trends, we are looking usually two years ahead of what's going to happen. And I do that. I'm a member of a group called Color Marketing Group, which is a forecasting association. So that's really informed the way I look at the world. And I've spent a career really digging in and understanding what moves trends. And there's a handful of other people who also do this really well. So I'll I'll give a shout out to Patty Carpenter and Nancy Fire, who I think are amazing forecasters. Also, if you don't know them, you should look them up and follow Mm -hmm. them as well. But they're also highly involved with High Point Market. And they do very similar things you know, to my studio in terms of working with manufacturers to help guide them on what's coming through so that we can develop product in advance and then show them to the design community before they hit retail at market. Hey, hotties, we're taking a break to talk to you about Moe's Home Collection. Look to Moe's for their full line of furniture and home decor that will give your projects that perfect blend of relaxed and modern vibes. And the in-house design team at Moe's has created elevated and design-forward creations from across the globe. As designers, we appreciate that they focus on quality while bringing unique and new styles that infuse life to our projects. The Moe's website also makes our lives easier as designers with high-quality product photography and up-to-date online inventory so you can source quickly. Moe's is a no-brainer to help your business grow with no order minimums and their low freight costs. And you can expect something new at each market where they introduce more than 300 new products. So be sure to visit their showrooms in Las Vegas and High Point. Great news. Podcast listeners can save an extra 10% off their purchase using code HYDC10 at checkout. So register for your account at moeshomecollection.com today. And like a huge part of that is like going back to what you were saying of just if we if that's where consumer likes or or whatever is headed, then mm-hmm. we want to make product that's going to appeal to that. But we're also going to kind of lead some of that a little bit yeah, and come up with new things. But we're also going to make sure that we're developing the product years in advance and prototyping it and workshopping it and all of that. So that way, by the time it gets to market, it sell, hopefully sells a whole lot better because correct. It's on the tip of people's tongue or, you know, when they're looking in a store, it's like for me, it's just, oh, every every furniture piece now 
should probably come in white oak because everybody wants something in white oak. And so when they don't see it, consumers are just like, but that's not what I want because that's not what I'm seeing anywhere else anymore. And they sort of change their whole buying pattern around those. Yeah. And I'm curious. I mean, it's fun for me as somebody who does product development and trend forecasting is to see how new technology has shifted the way people design or the way their clients are asking, you know, for a look or a feel. Like I know because I, you know, speak to so many designers, but Pinterest is a starting point. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you have clients who are like showing you, oh, I saw this on Pinterest. This is what I want. You're like, well, then wah, wah, wah. What are you hiring me for? (laughs) You know, (laughs) it's like, where's the innovation in that? Yeah. You know, so it's, it's interesting to see, you know, what's on the radar, but I find trends go in cycles. So as somebody who's been doing this for over 25 years, I do find trends are cyclical and there's always a bell curve to them. So, you know, we'll always say to people when you're looking at kind of what's happening in the market and it's important to interior designers too, because as much as designers are like, well, I don't follow the trends, you know, like <laughs> I do. Sure. I can't hide, you know? yeah, like, yeah. Okay. Like <laughs> I do classic, you know, I don't need trends. Yeah. We're all influenced by yeah. it. You know, yes. what you're saying to me is I don't want to follow a fad, but right. you had better be aware of what's happening in trend because if not, you know, you're going to go out there, think, think this is so classic. And then meanwhile, the whole market is shifting. And three years later, what you just spec looks old and you're, you've done a disservice to your client. Like your mm-hmm. client needs to live with that for the next 10 years plus, you know, mm-hmm. in some instances, you're doing a kitchen, it's yeah. going to last more than 10 years, you know? So you need to make sure that you are setting your client up to have design that will age well for them. And if you want to age well in your design, you have to have an ear to the ground with what's trending, where the market's going. And, you know, like you said, what are the consumer taste levels going to be? So like kind of where we're at in the bell curve of white bootleg. Like, yep. No, gonna, totally. And I, I have to tell you, that's not gone yet. But, you know, mm-hmm. you know, when it starts showing up in like mass retailers, that it's going to be at the end of the bell curve yep. or it's going to mm-hmm. evolve in some way at the high end of the market into something new. I think it's, I think that's fascinating to watch because when you can finally, like you're saying, look back on you can see the full arc and you're like, no, no, we're in contraction mode now. Like they're, we're not going to expand into that. We're going to start reducing production on that or make less of it, or we're going to have to change it to keep it living a little bit longer and, and to it's be able to have that. Totally. I mean, I'll ask you just your opinion, like gray, yay or nay? Nay. Nay. I've been saying nay for a while. I had a designer who was like, why are you so anti-gray? What did gray ever do to you? And I was like, I'm not anti-anything. I'm just telling you, like gray is a classic. When you look at there's palettes that are called classic color palettes, they're never Mm. out of style. Gray is a classic. It has its place. Gray is totally warming. We should really be calling it taupe at this point. But I've been saying probably for the last four years, it's on a decline, but it doesn't mean it's gone. So, you know, in the retail world, or I can tell you because we're looking at the numbers of what's actually actually selling on our products, gray is still a really important color. Yeah. And what happens is we see things on really on the coast. So when we used to track trends, you could say, you know, East Coast, West Coast in the United States, trends would happen first, right? You see it in fashion, you see it in streetwear, you see it in interior mm-hmm. design, and it makes its way through the country. So that used to be kind of something you could hang your hat on. But then we'd have a farmhouse that came out mm-hmm. of, you know, Texas, however many years ago. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the iteration of it that came out of Utah a couple of years ago, and that had a big impact. And that kind of made its way 
from the middle of the country mm-hmm. back out. So, you know, it's interesting to watch sort of where some of these spawn from and, and how they evolve. But I can tell you, East Coast and West Coast got rid of gray a number of years ago. Like we started seeing the camel colors coming in and the browns coming in. And I just think we're going to see so much more of that. And then you'll look at a gray interior and be like, well, that looks dated. But then there'll be a point where it looks fresh again. <laughs> where 20 years word, from now. Yeah. It's yeah. going to take time. I mean, listen, gray was huge in the 80s. Huge. Yes, with the mauve and gray. gray. And burgundy, gray and mauve. Yeah. That was a big color palette. It was a big balancing 80s. color to to some of those other like pastel or saturated tones as a way to calm it out and balance but the, it. But probably a response to the earth tones of the 70s. Exactly. And we're back in that now. So we're at yeah. the very beginning of that whole kind of earth tone movement happening, which I love. Like, I'm ah, so excited. Yes, me too. Especially like when I think about the revival of, especially where I am, it's the revival of sort of desert culture, which is sort of feels like very synonymous with the 70s, especially in greater LA and everywhere. It's just, it just feels like a natural movement. But everyone was like, but we're coastal, even though you're, you know, 200 miles inland <laughs> in the desert. Yeah. But everyone was like, but coastal's the thing. So it'll be really fascinating to watch that sort of expand and and have an impact on architecture and remodels. Like that's going to go on for a while. Totally. No, I I know. I'm excited to see where it hits market. And, you know, I'm excited to go to the spring market because it it is where we see, I'm going to call it trend validation, where we get to see where some of our forecasts, you know, and the things that we've developed, you know, So we forecasted it. We've been working on it for a year, year and a half. It's now going to show up at market and we get to kind of walk around all of the showrooms and validate what we had forecast and see if there's anything new and emerging that maybe wasn't on our radar until we you know, came to visit this, this season. Yeah. And do you feel you, from your standpoint, have, like we've shaken off like the pandemic remnants of things not cycling through so. as fast? Yeah. I think so. I think there's more innovation. You know, look, there's... When we're looking at trends, and, and I do a lot of talks on this, you know, I, I always point out we identify what we call drivers, things that move the trends. So you, you, know, you imagine one of them, right? Like a global pandemic, that's a big trend mover. That's going to really make an impact. Economy will move trends. Mm-hmm. Election year will move trends. The environment will move trends. You know? So how important is sustainability? You know, did something major happen? You know, where, where are we looking at that? So there's all kinds of things. Art is a, a big, you know, place that I look, right? What are artists saying? What are, what's happening? Even if it's graffiti, right? What are, what's in people's subconscious? What are they trying to say? Where, where's the communication happening? Because design is a form of expression. And, yeah. you know, it ultimately, it echoes back what the culture is looking for. Mm-hmm. And so much of our, so much of like creative cultures do have this sort of overlapping Venn diagram of design, interior designers to product designers to textile designers to graphic design, like we're all sort of in that same vein of thoughts and we're paying attention to art because we're motivated by that or color. And not that we're all just like feeding off of it with each other, but it we do influence thought. And that is like a really old school creative way of thinking of when, you know, painters and creators would just sit at cafes with each other and say, I'm writing a book about this. Oh, I'm painting this and I'm impacted by this. It's all of that is, you know, we're, now it's a giant cafe we're sitting in, but but they're able to overlap and influence each other with these ideas. And that's still happening. And I think it's probably super apparent when you do get to market because you are seeing the art, the accessories, the fabrics, you get to see them all in one place and realize 
oh, how we're kind of being influenced by one another. Totally. And, and playing off of what you just said with the old school artists, you know, like you're talking about, you know, you had the impressionists and they would all kind of be together studying in the same school or, you know, there's that little bit of, you know, competition, but much more of sharing the work and sharing the ideas and Mm -hmm. playing off of what we talked about earlier, you know, my twenties, when I felt like I was in competition, I don't know who I was in competition with, you know, myself, (laughs) but, you know, and sort of changing and evolving and growing as a, human, you know, not just as an entrepreneur or designer, but as a human and recognizing and and really believing in that sort of law of abundance um, Mm -hmm. mentality. What I found is, and I've lived in that for a long time, I mean, it's a much healthier place to live. But like you said, we have this tribe of designers of phenomenal creative people who are really doing amazing things. Their work is being published, you know, they're getting accolades, they're, they're hustling and even the ones whose work isn't, I, it's so fun because I've met so many awesome people when I go to market mm-hmm. and so many of them now with technology too, it's, oh, Indigo Pruitt, I know you. Yes. Like, it's people <laughs> that I follow. And then Marie and I ended up like, you know, having calls on the phone, you know, where she, it was like, oh, can, can I pick your brain about stuff? It's sure. So you end up connecting with people that like, maybe you admire their work. Right on, you know, online or on Instagram, and then you actually meet them in person and then they become your friend. And then, you know, you, you end up getting together and kind of growing your relationship because now you have this place where you, your tribe comes together. Yeah. And, you know, I, I joked, I was doing like an Instagram a couple markets ago when I was, you know, doing the original style spotters and you have to, you know, take pictures of things. And I'm like, I was busting the chops of one of my design friends because I'm like, the designers come out. I'm like, shh, we're watching them in their natural habitat. I'm like, <laughs> their, their plumage is in full force, you know, at this yeah. time of year, right? Because everybody shows up decked out yeah. and, you know, accessorized and fabulous. And it's, you know, it's so fun. I always see them on the plane. Together. I'm like, oh, they're going to market. That's a they're yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, we are easy to spot, but it's really fun when you get all of this creative energy together in one place. And they market's done such a fun job. Like they have concerts, they have fabulous keynote speakers, and, and the parties, you know, <laughs> and the oh, parties. But like concerts, like major, major acts. Like I, I'm like, how do you pull this off? And they're like, well, we're the literally the largest market in the world. Like yeah. this is it. This is so they get really fun. I mean, it's it's crazy. It's a yeah. lot of fun. I, I mean, we talk about this a lot and I really think people who haven't been to High Point, they just, if you only think about, oh, I can't take that time off or it's expensive. Like, I don't think people are realizing the total value of, yes, yeah, seeing all the trends and the touching and feeling of furniture that we can sell to our clients. But yeah, the being able to go, like I've, ne- I, this is my second, third career. I've never had industry connections like I do now that we can have like little mini vacations with our friends. Even if I went by myself, I would meet people that I know or Mm. kind of know from Instagram and can get to know. And there's just like this really level playing field and we meet people come up to us, which we just love. And I don't know, it's... It's just such a unique industry, I feel. Yeah, it's a great place, like you said, to expand your network. Go ahead, Sean. There's something about like how your guard is down a little bit because you feel like, oh, I'm in a, you know, like if a group group of doctors were in a, you know, the lunchroom together, (laughs) they're going to talk about because they don't have to worry about a patient being around or the general public hearing what they're saying. 
And so you put a group of us together and we all just start saying, oh, but I could make that profitable. And that's a really like that price can work for me. Or you know what? I'm having trouble with fees or what do I do about this? And suddenly we all let our guard down like we wouldn't do when we're in that sort of public setting. Yeah, Sean, which l- last time Sean was bumped into Gene Stofer, like they were side by side picking through something and like <laughs> grumbling about the quality or something. <laughs> like, I was like, I can't sell it. it. Yeah, she's just, I can't seem, the price seems really high. I'm like, yeah, I don't think I can make that profitable for what it is. And she's right. You know, and so not that I'm like, I'm not going to out what we were talking about, but, but it's just, I would never have that ability to have that conversation, not being at market. I would never fluid and natural. And yeah, yeah. no, it's great. And it's funny that you're saying that because it's something I hadn't thought about until you brought it up. But the other benefit of building a network of other interior designers while you're there is I've seen also where they'll start networking groups and yeah. it's, hey, and I'm on some of them. So, you know, people will jump in and go, hey, I love this chair from such and such vendor, but I don't have an account with them. Like their their yeah. opening order is $20,000. Who's got an account? Yes. And you build a network to be able to kind of piggyback off of the accounts that you have so that you can buy better and be more profitable. And, yes. you know, it's great to have those forums also because they'll say, oh, you know, like you said, well, such and such, their lead time's no good. Or, you know, you can put your image on whatever and say to them, hey, does anybody know where to source this? Like my client came to me from this retailer and, you know, you don't want to buy retail. So who has something that's similar or where's the real source? And you you end up building a really good network of, again, generosity. It's yeah. this reciprocal generosity. We're not competing against each other. We're all here. We're all going to attract the clients that are meant for us. Mm-hmm. And so it's so much better for business to have a network of like-minded, similar business owners to be able to like mastermind and share and network with. That's probably one of the biggest things that comes out of coming to market at this point too. You know, Beyond, like you said, it's amazing to be able to sit on the sofas, see the quality. It makes such a huge difference. You know, if, if not, you're yes. shopping online. You're like concerned about what you're stacking. When you can open a drawer and see if it's soft clothes and yep. get the feel of the finish, like you do wonders for your ability to have confidence in your specs. Oh so gosh. going there and being able to see so many showrooms in one place, like there's really nowhere else in the world that you can cover that much ground so quickly. Absolutely. Until until I went to market, I did not I was at the same place where I'm just like, well, I'm just making money on design fees or whatever. And no, I'm not doing that. And then it just, you go through that first phase of, okay, my mind is blown. There's almost too, too much, which is natural. It's, oh. it's, it's a huge workplace with tons of vendors, tons of knowledge, lots of conversation and networking. And you get there and you are kind of sort of meant to get your mind blown a little. It's like the first year in college where you're just like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> then you get that. And then you start to realize, oh, I know what shortcuts to take around around getting around High Point. Now I'm learning, okay, what events are good for meals, but also where am I going to find you know, the crew that does the best networking with me? And you start to figure that out. Yeah. But you do start to figure out the confidence was a huge factor of, I just didn't know what I was trying to sell until I went to market. Yeah, I, I truly had no idea, like, why is this different than pottery barn or why what makes this better or you don't have transparency of pricing if you don't have accounts and you can't even see so you're just like clicking around at a dummy website that doesn't show you loud and clear you know right the manufacturers will all have it there it's you know stocking dealer price designer price you know the ones who are kind of leveling it in versus the ones that are like nope it's a flat fee for everybody they view designers 
as if they were a stocking dealer. So, you know, you start to make decisions also based on um, business, but you understand so much better when you can go yeah. level of quality. I mean, I just had this conversation with the client. We're working on their home, you know, looking at a sectional and it's, wow, that's expensive. And I'm like, well, I can, I can resource things for you, but the quality is not going to be the same. Understand right. that. So I can get you a look for less, mm-hmm. but it's not the level of quality that I would want, you know, or that I would expect. But yes, we can get you that. And it was like, boom, they immediately understood. It was mm-hmm. like, no, what you're getting in these components are the things you can't see. What you're getting is the fact that the pillows aren't going to sag, you know, two months yeah. in yeah. and that you're, you know, the sofa and sectional is still going to look good in five years. Like it's a well-made piece of furniture. Yeah. You can't compare it. So, you know, it's, it gives you so much more confidence as a designer to be able to speak to those things because you are getting that education. And I love how you said it's like being a freshman. I think that's a great analogy <laughs> because sometimes people are like, oh, I'm afraid to go. I'm overwhelmed. But you could say that about any new conference you go to. There's that yeah. fear piece. There's that little bit of what I just get myself into and I'm nervous. Where and Whenever you go somewhere new, you know, for me, I think High Point's done such a great job and Market's done such a great job because you land. And I remember going the first time to High Point, I, you know, and knowing that it was a place I needed to be, right? I was looking to expand my business from hospitality into residential and retail. There was no other place to go. So I, I had to go. I had an uncle who was with me in the business at that point in time, you know, helping me with business development. And so the two of us get on a plane and we land and it's, there's buses lined up. There's <laughs> readers there with signs that say, welcome to market. Yes. And I remember looking at him and being like, I feel like I'm in Orlando. Are we going? Yeah. It felt like I was going to <laughs> Disneyland, you know, it was like, for like, sure. we had arrived, you know, we're designers. We had arrived. I'm like, oh, this was easier than I but thought But they take care like. of you once you're there. That's what we've said before too. It seems very kind of convoluted when you're from far away. But yeah. once you're there, like the wayfinding, it's like when you land and park or park in Disneyland, they make it very easy for you to find the entrance to the ticket booth. Like you just <laughs> totally. And go. I was actually like skeptical because as a New Yorker, I don't trust anything. I'm like, <laughs> so we land, you know, there, there's these greeters, they have smiles, there are signs, welcome to market. And I'm like, I don't think that's for us. Like I, I was like, I, I we got the group that booked that. Yeah, yeah. We didn't book that. I guess that's for like the buyers or whatever. And they were like, no, no, come on, y'all. Like, yeah, to market. This is the bus. It's yeah. free. We were like, are you sure? You know, my uncle's like, make sure we don't get mugged. You know, you know, you, you literally can do this. Is too good to be true, but it's not. Like you land and like you said, there's wayfinding. Literally, like you get off of your, you know at the terminal and there's the signs. It's it's the whole thing is about welcoming to market. Yeah. And you're there and then, you know, there's maps and guides and apps. Like you can put the app on your phone and pre-plan your trip to make it easier. You know, there's it's so fun. It's it's a great place to go. And my advice for people who are considering it who haven't been is, you know, kind of pre-plan it, but leave slack in your schedule. You know, for that first year, that first market, I think if you just leave yourself time, you know, maybe hit a couple of your main vendors. So you know that you're going to get there, you know, sit on the things you want to sit on and then keep it, keep your schedule kind of open so that you can wander, you can explore, you know, there's parties everywhere. It's all for you, the buyer, it's all for you, the designer. And, you know, don't be intimidated by it. It, it can be so much fun. So just kind of keep, keep a lot of slack in your schedule that first year. Yeah. Yeah. That's and really last fall advice. we hosted a hotspot tour and they have those every year or every market too, that they're just super accessible. A lot of people that are kind of new to market and you'll 
like on our tour, we watched people make friends that we saw connect again and again throughout the week. So there's a lot of entry points to not feel like I'm just here by myself lost. Totally. Yeah, that's great advice too, is there are lots of nice tours that you can sign up for. Free. If you are, you know, intimidated or you want to have somebody who's been there, you know, more experienced lead you through. So take advantage of those two. Yeah. And vintage I, and get into those vintage halls. Oh that's what you got to leave room oh, those for. Those are so amazing. I know. Incredible. That's dangerous. <laughs> Even just for the inspiration alone, I'm just like, oh my God, I can spin this into something else even if I can't afford that, you know, $50,000 cabinet for project. Like, Yes. I can, I can work with some ideas from what I see there. And I don't, there, we don't really have, depending on, especially where you are in the country, you may not have as many concentrations of design inspiration. Like I, I hear from a lot of designers, like, oh, we don't even have a design center where I'm at. And I'm like, I'll be honest with yeah. you. The Pacific, we don't. <laughs> sorry, Pacific Design Center in LA, it's not that inspiring, but it is, yeah. it, it is by comparison when you don't have access to, any fabric showrooms or or any yeah. furniture showrooms, just to have a place where you can see more in one in place makes a difference. So I think market is where you really supercharge that, and you get. I mean, to that's see me. That's what I more. have to do. I can't go. I can't see any showrooms like that. Yeah, and the value. And make sure of you that. have storage on your phone because otherwise, like, <laughs> oh, you're yeah. taking a thousand pictures, and you'll yep. be out of storage, right? Yes, every time. And take a picture of the sign of the. <laughs> showroom you're in before you start taking pictures start so you remember pictures. where you are. Yes, 100%. That's a great, great <laughs> feedback. Oh, speaking of pictures. So wait, you said you were a style spotter before, but now it's you're a style spotter at this coming April's market. Yes. It's style a, spotter, it's alumni, spotter alumni. All stars. All stars. So what does yes. that mean? What do you do when you're there as a Style spotter, so, alumni, all-star. <laughs> I know. See, that's a good question. Well, I like you said, I was a style spotter once before. I think it's a program they've had going for probably about 10 years or mm-hmm. so now, maybe a little longer. And basically, they had pulled at the time when I was doing it, I think there were 10 of us for the year that went to two markets. And our job was to go around and basically award products at different showrooms on things that we really thought were very innovative or highly stylish and and mm-hmm. sort of award worthy. And then we would take the um, images of the things we had spotted and, and kind of fold them into trends. So that was the style spotter's job at the time. And, and we were doing kind of these presentations on our favorites or the trends that we were seeing in the markets. We were kind of spotting trends, spotting new innovation, things like that. This year, I think to kind of refresh the program, they invited, I think, eight or 10 of us back. So people who had already been a style spotter were invited back to be an alumni all-star. Mm. And so we're going to be doing similar job. They're, they're changing it out a little bit. I think I want to say at the time we had a spot like 20 or 25 things. I think there's less spotting. So it's a little bit more highly selective this time okay. too. And so I'm excited too, but, but kind of same concept. Is You're to putting little cards on product. Yeah, so it's going to be a little bit more fancy than a card this time too. <laughs> so I think it's a little bit more, you know, more substantial of an award yeah. for the showrooms. But it's also a call out to the designers and the buyers who are walking that if they see this product, that it's sort of been identified as something yeah. more innovative or more unique or more stylish at market. So it's something to kind of turn your head twice and take a look at. And it's kind I of like Easter egg hunting. Like you're exactly. like, as a designer, you're out there looking for the little card. I always look for them. I always look yeah. for what other designers are looking at because I really want 
I I always it's like a trusted vetted opinion almost to go oh but these are my people they they're already kind of looking with a critical eye at things so it's always fun to see them in showrooms where I'm like oh good that confirmed what I was thinking about that piece or <laughs> yeah like totally and I follow the hashtags I don't know if you do that too but that's yes. one of my hacks is I'll follow the hashtags while I'm at market yes. to see because you you know it's so much ground to cover so if i'm scrolling and i see something cool i'm like oh that's awesome let me go run and find you know i, I want to go see that one for myself yeah, yeah. i was thinking so that when you said leave room in your schedule for mm-hmm. to get inspired by instagram cuz i definitely do that too where i'm like wait i didn't see that where is it <laughs> yeah. and most designers will tell you where they were if you dm them exactly oh totally and a lot of them are just t- you know tagging right on there who the show yeah absolutely some- yeah, yeah, so you're going to be at market in April. This year's spring market's April 13th through the 17th. So I know it's going to be packed because spring market is always just, there's that exciting energy of everyone coming out of like their winter hibernation. <laughs> and there's, yeah, it's just sort of like the pent up energy of this is like the first big event of the season for most designers. So that's going to be a lot of fun. I think that's going to be beautiful. I think it's almost like fashion week, you know, like it's, you know, there's new New York fashion week, you know, we all like are looking at the runway shows. Like this is almost like our furniture fashion week. This yeah. is where furniture and accessories really like has its showing yeah. and the designers all show up and, you know, it's almost like having a front row seat to this fabulous fashion show. That's going to be great. Stacey, can you tell everybody where they should follow along with your adventures? Yeah, I would love to connect with all of you. So I'm on Instagram. I have two handles. One is Stacy Garcia Trade and one is Stacy Garcia Home. And that is the distinguishing factor between my hospitality work and our residential work. So hit me up on both of those. And I'm also on LinkedIn at Stacy Garcia. And you can find me on my website at Stacy Garcia Inc. Dot com and that way you can check out all of our product and our projects and I would love to see you all at High Point. So please, if you're going, you know, hit me up, DM me. I am pretty user friendly. <laughs> okay, that's fantastic. <laughs> Thank you for being so open and transparent with our our hotties about what this sort of ins and outs, especially when it comes to licensing or thing. It just feels, oh, this is going to be unattainable or I have to be a giant before someone will listen to me. And I do think there's so much more to it than that. And like you said, there is so much more opportunity for growth in that now than there was. You know, Every year, it just becomes better and better. And I think that's encouraging for a lot of designers to hear. Good. Now, I hope I can you know help and again, have done panels and High Point's got great education on so many things. So there may even be something on licensing this year too and a great way to expand, you know, your business. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Stacey. It was really inspiring. And thank you for inviting me on. Well, until next time, stay hot, designers. Thanks for listening to the Hot Young Designers Club podcast. For more on what we talked about today, check out the show notes. Your support helps us grow, so share with your design besties. And subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Our conversations continue on Instagram. And be sure to download our monthly resources on our website and our Patreon. 